Hi, Danny. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm quality, thank you. Oh, let me move this around. Hello, I'm Harry Robinson, and this is the All Out Attack podcast. Oh, Auden's here, by the way. My guest today is Danielle Phelps, a woman born into the Westboro Baptist Church, the outspoken and controversial religious sect in America that was founded by Danielle's grandfather, Pastor Fred Phelps. I wasn't, um, cat. I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Whilst Danielle has left the church, it is still in operation today at the church's compound in Topeka, Kansas. The Phelps family have been referred to as the most hated family in America notorious for their loathing of homosexuality, celebration of tragedies, and picketing of funerals, particularly those of soldiers who have died in combat. <laughs> um, do you want me to just start then? I'll, I'll jump right into it. Danielle is now an openly gay woman and a former US Marine. Everything her family stood against. At her house only five minutes away from where she grew up, accompanied by her supportive girlfriend Autumn and a wandering kitten, I connected with an inspirational person that has had to overcome indoctrination and sacrifice family to be true to who she is. I hope you enjoy. Just for context sake, because I know there's a lot of people in, in the UK or, or people who I've spoken to who are blissfully unaware of the West, Westboro Baptist Church. Yeah. Um, in, in, I mean, in your words, who are the Westboro Baptist Church? my words um well i know a lot of people call it a cult in in many ways it is but like just growing up in it all it was to me was just like a church like a family church that has very specific beliefs um and in my opinion they share a lot of the same beliefs with other christians they're just more open about it so mm -hmm. um that draws a lot more you know hatred and uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think they're that much different from anybody else, but uh, um, they're just very vocal about it. Yeah, th th that makes sense. In terms of, do you reject the the kind of beliefs that they have, though? No, yeah. 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 I, I just wanted to, to clarify that, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, well, you, you mentioned uh, that pe people brand the Westboro Baptist Church as a cult, uh, church as a cult, and, you know, I, rightfully wrongfully in, in your view the do you feel the kind of obviously with fred phelps at the at the top for so long do you feel it was cultesque in the way that it was uh, essentially a whole you know 70 75 group uh, like group of people working towards ahead of the group if you get what i mean oh of a cult yeah i mean yeah i can see that um because my grandfather did uh did start the church uh after i think he like graduated west point or something like that and then got super into like the religious reformation here in america and then moved to kansas and then started the church and um it kind of it kind of just turned into a big uh like his his children obviously only the males the married men of the family were allowed to have any opinion in it. Um, women, we weren't allowed to talk at all. Hang your head low, like you have no no rights, basically. So, yeah, basically, uh, in a lot of ways, it was cultish. Yes. What? I mean, because in terms of the your grandfather's kind of, do, do you do you still see him as, as your grandfather? I think that's important to to mention. Like me referring to him as yeah. Yeah, he's my grandfather. Yeah, of course. Uh, in terms of um I, I, he was quite, sometimes quite elusive in terms of the the maybe the left-wing media or, or you know yeah. documentarians who would come uh visit what was the real uh you know fred phelps like as a person or especially with his grand, grand grandkids and, with his grandchildren for sure he was he was very sweet man um i yeah media wise they only ever saw that like very cold side of him like no uh i don't know like dead in the eyes almost like he he was just like all right this is this is the this is what i believe and that's all you're gonna get from me but in reality in person he wasn't he wasn't like that. he was very warm and uh he loved to talk he loved the, i don't know he just made you feel very loved and 
like accepted in a way, even if you were like a troublemaker, because I was kind of a troublemaker as a kid. So yeah, I didn't, I didn't get a lot of, uh, I, it, the attention I got as a kid was usually pretty negative, but from him, it was very, very warm and soft and kind. Yeah. Do you, was that replicated across the board with all members yeah. of the church? Yeah. Yeah, you could uh, you could probably ask any one of any one of my siblings or my cousins, and they would they would most likely say the same thing. Like I never saw him really harsh towards any one of us. Obviously, he was quite an eccentric man with his beliefs. But do you feel, in that regard, that he was quite hard done by in terms of the the media rep that he got? Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm really. Oh, Autumn's here, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, Autumn's TikTok is how I found out about about you and your story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and how- a lot of people are finding out about me that way because I wasn't like my my part of the family wasn't very like my father's pretty well known. Like Tim, Tim Phelps mm-hmm. is my father, so he's kind of well known, but not as much as say like Cheryl Cheryl mm-hmm. Phelps over. Like she's very vocal. Um, so nobody really has really heard of me, but people that do hear of me are usually pretty, uh, um, I don't know, uh, what is it? Obsessed. <laughs> Obsessed, I guess. Yeah, that's what Autumn says. Like, they're like, oh, this is this is funny. Like, come from an anti-gay, anti-military family, and then you end up being gay and in the military. It's just, I guess. It was so iconic. Yeah, I iconic. I had to make a TikTok about it. Yeah. Do you, do you like the, I mean, I was going to use the word notoriety then, but it, it's more like viral fame, kind of. Do you like that side of it, or did you like going under the radar a bit? Oh, well, I, I usually, because I, I, have kind of, I have a bit of trauma from my childhood, so I usually don't, it's not that I have an issue with talking about it, it's just coming, like, I don't know, specific things about my childhood, I get, I get, uh, overwhelmed easily mm-hmm. so it's not that I'm not comfortable talking about it necessarily just uh like I have to like take a step back and like slow down so I don't I don't mind the I guess viral aspect of it on TikTok it's just um I have to like approach it at my own speed yeah well I think not- the, I think the problem is with with kind of especially with something like the Westboro Baptist Church which had so which has had so much coverage and I mean Louis Theroux's kind of a bit of a cult hero in, in the UK and and brought the, the church to light in the UK um, and I think people can get very obsessive over say the church in terms of mm-hmm. you know especially people who've got out of it because if anything they're the most accessible people uh, you, you know you won't find Shirley on TikTok <laughs> yeah yeah in terms of your childhood uh, in general what is the kind of crooks in the daily life of growing up in the church then uh well honestly it was a lot a lot of it was a blur but when i think back on it um the main things i remember were like we were constantly working like it was always go 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 um i'm gonna say it or something <laughs> um we so we uh i just remember like the summers mainly if we weren't in like in school, obviously, uh, summer break, we would be, we'd wake up early. So like six o'clock every morning, we were all awake. We'd have like a family prayer um, led by my father. And then um, if you had a job, you went to work. But as a kid, obviously you don't have a job. So we were like assigned different jobs around the, the compound people like to call it. Uh, so usually I'd go out and like water all the all the plants around the block. That's a lot of plants. So it's been hours just out there watering. Um, and then after that, uh, it was usually like a, a late a late morning picket somewhere around the city. We'd all go to the picket. Um, if there was uh, houses, so like uh, pretty much all the houses that we lived on, lived in around the block were built by everyone in the family. So mm-hmm. yeah. at 10 years old, I started construction. My dad was like the leader of the like electrical aspect of all the houses. So um, 
I pretty much became like a rafter monkey, like they like to call it. So I just, I did a lot of the climbing around in the tight spaces, like just a lot of manual labor, mm -hmm. um, always kept you busy so that you didn't have time to like, uh, like cause mischief basically. Like they just kept us very busy. And then um, there was a scheduled pickets every day, two or three pickets scheduled every day that if you were available, you had to go to. So it was, it was very, monotonous very like just schedule after schedule after schedule i can imagine did, how did they decide who got to do or who did what pickets then or, or was it just as on um, mass as many people as possible who were free? yeah like usually the pickets inside the city inside topeka that were like easily easy to get to um if you had a car and you were available you went so like they didn't care how many people went to those but say you went outside like say we went to a picket in kansas city or some other state we uh, you basically had to put your name out there and be like, hey, I am available to go to that picket. Um, and then they would just pick, like, it was almost like a, yeah, they, like, pick teams. They're like, yeah, you're cool to go. You're cool to go. Like, they just, like, pick people that they're like, yeah, we're, we're okay with you being seen at that picket. And then they would, like, send you off to those pickets. Were there ever any pickets that they would tell people that they weren't all right to be seen at the picket? Um, I know a few times, like, like I said, I was a troublemaker. So like, I'd be scheduled to go to a picket, like out of state or something. And then, and then I would like get in trouble for something like, I don't know, like I hadn't like an attitude for like a second. They're like, ah, oh, Danielle, Danielle's got an attitude. She's not going to go to these pickets anymore. So they just like would take me off and put somebody else on the picket. So yeah, there were a few, I can't think of any specific ones, but yeah. Usually, if you were just like a trip, like causing some type of issue, then they would be like, uh, "Nah, you're good. You don't need to be seen out there." How? What did you feel about the pickets? As a, I mean, you talk about being kind of a, a rebellious child in terms of causing mischief or what that. How were the pickets for, a, you know, a young girl growing up? Um, it was weird. It was almost kind of like Stockholm syndrome in a way because, you 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 kind of wanted to be picked to go to the pickets because you wanted to be like kind of flying under the radar in a way, but like, I don't know. I don't know how I really explain it. Stockholm yeah. is the best way to explain it. But like you wanted to go to the pickets because you wanted to like make them happy basically. But at the same time, like in my head, cause I knew at a very young age that I was. Oh, Danielle. There's people that see us out there and, and it hurts them like emotionally. And there's like, I don't know. So it's it's weird. You you cut out a bit at the start there. What were you saying about that you knew from a very young age that? Oh, I knew from a very young age that that I was gay. So like mm. it, was, it was like I had to keep that internalized. Um, but at the same time, I was still trying to like people please basically my family. Mm -hmm. Um, so I would want to go to the pickets, but at the same time, I like hated myself for wanting to go to the pickets because I knew I was hurting people. I, I I think that's very because because I think what a lot of people it, it, when you see it, footage of the pickets a lot of the time it's it's members of the public hurling abuse and and then that kind of stuff and I sometimes as as much as I you know fundamentally disagree with with everything that, that they were picketing and obviously you did too yeah um the when you see you, you know children like yourself who were kind of getting the full brunt of it, even though that I, I, I think people have got to have a bit more empathy in terms of the fact that some people are uh, indoctrinated into this belief system, which they, yeah. once they come of an age, they realize that they never wanted that belief system and they feel. Yeah, absolutely. And that that's something that I've, ex I've had issues with, like going into the Marine Corps, I'd like people would find out about who I am and then they would like make me feel bad about it like it was my choice or something like I had no control over like I was just born into this situation yeah like yeah I, I I had like an like a whole conversation with this kid like early morning I was on watch like in the field working and we're sitting there talking he like he was like begging me to tell tell me tell him about my family so I was like okay all right fine you just can't get mad at me like because I get back I get like bad responses sometimes when I tell people about my family yeah. So I'm like, okay, 
So I'd lay it all out there. I'm like, yeah, this is this is how I grew up. This is the situation. And then he'd be like, man, I wanted to, I wanted to go shoot every single one of one of them in the head, pull the trigger myself. And I'm just sitting there. I'm like, it's still my family, dude. Like it's still like that messes with me because like as much as what they've done is you know kind of fucked up in a way. Well, in a lot of ways, it's fucked up, but like, it's still my family. I still love them in a way. So it's, yeah, it kind of, it kind of messes with me. I, I think it's a, it's a strange kind of fetishization of, of it all, because I mean, I mean, when you look at any, any of the, uh, also, you know, if, if, if you need a break or anything, please do say, so obviously I can see. <laughs> and if, you know, if, 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 if it's all good for Autumn to be off camera, you know, she can be on, like, there's no rules for that as well. <laughs> I don't care, Autumn. You're sitting over there. You're the star, not me. <laughs> well, I, just because I saw, saw the hand coming in, I was like, you know, I don't want anyone to pull a muscle or anything. <laughs> no, I'm just kind of shaky because I, I had surgery, so I'm like a little... Uh, and, you have ADHD. and I also have ADHD, so yeah, I'm a little shaky right now, but I'm okay. Oh, well, I hope, you know, I'm not going to pry or anything, but, you know, I hope, I hope it all goes well. <laughs> if I'm uncomfortable, I would say something. Oh, no, yeah, of course. Um, yeah, in, in terms of yeah, the, the, when you look at the people who have, uh, I guess, defected is the right word. I mean, they call, they call them rebels in, in the the church. Yeah. Uh, I've yet to find any of them. I mean, especially Megan, who is the the most famous, if you like, of, of people yeah. who've left the church. Not a single one of them seems angry or or resentful or, or have any, has any harbors any hatred towards the family because it's still the yeah. family. People, I think, don't realize the the conflict does it does it bring you a, a huge conflict of emotions when you kind of realize that you don't agree with their your family's beliefs but obviously you still miss them because it's your family well yeah did you hear autumn i don't know if you heard her it's it's just like any other family like you don't share a belief with them so like you have some kind of like I wouldn't call it resentment you're just kind of like man like it's it's almost kind of disappointing because you're like i want better for you in a way like I wish that you understood the impact that you're having on other people because of like your selfish thoughts basically like I don't know I don't harbor any hatred necessarily but yeah I just I just feel like disappointed like I'm like man like we like we could be so good but you just you insist on having this belief when I don't know like it, it, there's so much there's so much like love out there in the world and then they just they are so intent on staying in this one spot and harboring all this hate in themselves and then they just like take that hate and they're just throwing it out at everybody else it's weird yeah I, I think uh from from reading some of the the stories I mean I'd love to get onto your story as well in terms of how you left but into reading some of the other stories of people who've left a lot of it seems to be that they were approached or they they liaised with someone outside of the church and then kind of realized that there's a whole other yeah. world out there that isn't bad and yeah, negative like and yeah, yeah exactly her husband she met her husband on twitter and that's what you know got her thinking like wait this is this is this is questionable mm. and like you know he was always that source of light and love for her so going back to because obviously you mentioned that um if you're okay with talking about it you mentioned that you always realized uh, your sexuality from a young mm -hmm. age yeah how did you come to realize that in a in a in a, an environment that actively suppressed it whoa i probably like trying to stop this drama right now mm -hmm. okay you good you there yeah okay. i'm I'm sorry yeah i think we freeze up i, I can still hear you though when when you okay freeze, all right up, so yeah uh yeah i don't know they didn't really i don't know how to explain this part um i always well yeah i always knew like it's not like they hid like sexuality necessarily like you know like they would just they're like god hates fags all this stuff so like as a very young age you're like i know what a fag is which is weird for a kindergartner knowing knowing what a homosexual is like in explicit detail talking mm -hmm. about like female sex and stuff like that at a very young age i'm like yeah, I know what all this stuff is. So like for other people, that's weird. But for my family, it was so normal. Um, so then like, I always like, they were just telling, telling all of us, obviously like, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. And then in third grade, I just like, 
the first day of third grade, I just had this moment where I was like sitting with all these other like little kids. And that's, that's weird to think of because I'm an adult now, but I'm sitting with these kids and I'm like, I like this little girl. And then I was like, oh, like that's wrong. Like my parents have told me or my family's told me like it's wrong to have these feelings for, you know, same gender. Mm-hmm. But Danielle? I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry, Daniel, it, it cut out then again for the last ah. like 20 seconds. <laughs> I, uh, I think it was, it, was ju- it was just after you said that about, about your family not agreeing with, with the same gender, or, you know, be, yeah. re- you know being shocked. I, it, what happens is it freezes and then it comes back and I can tell it's like a very tender moment. Uh, <laughs> that's harsh. Uh, no. Um, so, yeah, it just like they're telling me constantly that this is wrong, this is wrong. And then seeing that in myself, I was just like, I, I, I'm I, attracted to these same, like the same gender. And I'm like, this, it doesn't feel wrong, but with everyone around me telling me it's wrong, I felt like gross. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, so like, I, I don't know. <laughs> Them telling me it was wrong, I felt wrong, but honestly in myself I, I it didn't feel wrong like I felt I felt like I was doing like I was just being who I was yeah so exactly it's, just, it's it's a weird concept I, I can I can't begin to imagine how how conflicting and 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 confusing it is at that age to yeah especially in in a as you were saying that you everything that you try and do is to try and please yeah the people above you but then you yeah. know fundamentally that it's such a big part of you Mm-hmm. Is what you know they're picketing and, and and they're against. Um, did you ever? And again, please tell me if I'm prying too much. But did I? Did you ever tell anyone in the family your your feelings growing up, or was it? Uh, no, uh, my big sister. I told her everything, but two things in my entire life, and it was that I am gay and that I was planning on leaving. So I, I hid like that this whole side of me. And it was hard growing up, but like it wasn't as hard as I think a lot of people would think it, it is. It was just like, I always had that part of me, um, but I didn't mind keeping it to myself because it kind of just made me feel more comfortable with myself. Yeah, I, th- um, I think it, it kind of dodges yeah. the, the conflict that it would have maybe caused yeah. Yeah. So no, I, I never told anybody, but uh, I never even really had a coming out technically. I, it's not like I was hiding it necessarily. It's just like, cause after I left home and like with the family members I do, I have now, like I never, I was ever just like, Hey, I'm gay, by the way. I was just, I just, as soon as I left home, I started living my life and I was gay. So like, I never had to sit there and tell anybody, explain anybody who I, to anybody who I was, they just, automatically accepted who I was so it wasn't it, mm-hmm. it wasn't any like there was any like trip up in the transition necessarily when you left the church I mean you're talking about that now that you, you essentially start living your life mm-hmm. does it feel more so like a completely new beginning oh yeah yeah completely different life like a lot of things I just like have forgotten about my childhood that the only reason I'll remember something is if like I have a family get together like with my siblings and they're like, oh my God, do you remember when this happened? And I'm like, I completely forgot. It's completely separate life. Like it, it's almost like a dream in a way. Like I, I don't remember it unless like I sit down and I actually like go step by step, like, you know, year by year, like, oh, this year, this happened. Like it, it's like completely different life. I'm a completely different person than I was then. I was very... <laughs> very to myself very shy um I'm still like I'm an introvert for sure but like I'm very like flamboyant like I'm very outgoing I can be so it's a completely different person completely different life and it was like that moment I left mm-hmm. there's like a couple day like couple day like transition period where I was like okay like this is how the real world works but otherwise it was pretty pretty uh it's pretty easy transition yeah how did you come to the realization that you wanted to leave and were going to leave um well i was thinking like because obviously once you come of age like 18 years old you're able to make that decision um but 
to like two days before my 18th birthday, I ended up tearing my rotator cuff in my arm. So I was like, man, like all the plans that I did have to leave, like now I don't know if I'll be able to do that and like not struggle with it. So I forced myself to kind of like stick it out basically another year. So I didn't leave until a few weeks before I turned 19 because I needed to heal and I needed to actually come up with a, like a plan to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't ever really like a, like a decision. I was just kind of like, all right, well, I'm not staying here. Like, why would I want to stay in this hateful environment? Like doing stuff that's hurting people that, you know, I don't know. Like it wasn't even a question. It wasn't even a thought. I was just like, all right, well, I'm not meant to be here. Like, this is not my place to be. So, um, I had my, I worked at a, I worked for, uh, the, no, I worked for the county, uh, like sports, sports mm-hmm. league and stuff like that. Yeah. So I worked as a, a scorekeeper and like site supervisor for like softball games and stuff like that. My boss, she, she was gay and she was very, I was very open with her about not wanting to be with the family anymore. Um, so she, she uh, opened out, opened up her house to me. So when I left home, I just moved all my stuff to her house and she, and she, uh, I don't know, she just, you know, made me feel very accepted. So I felt safe and comfortable leaving and just going, going to her. Um, and uh, I didn't, obviously didn't tell anybody in my family. Like it was the night of July 4th. Um, so independence. Yeah. yeah. Um, all the fireworks are going off around Topeka. So nobody in my parents house could hear me moving my stuff like I was able with all the noise I was able to get everything down to my car without getting caught or heard um got everything into my car and then you know pulled out of the driveway and that was that leaving and I just got to the my boss's house and texted my parents and I was like hey like I don't want to stay like this is not where I I feel I'm supposed to be and I don't want to be using resources like their money and stuff that you Mm -hmm. could be using to support my siblings because I have I'm the fifth of 10 kids so there's five kids underneath me that still need to get fed and everything so um uh I didn't get any sleep that night my mom my mom texted me a few hours later like she'd woken up it's weird it's like my parents had like this got like this vibe that something was off so my mom woke up early and saw that I texted her and all she said was like, Hey, are you sure that this is what you want to do? And I was like, yeah, like, I don't like, this is not for me. This is, this is not right. Um, and so that was that she was like, okay. And like that moment they're like, all right, you're no longer our daughter. Um, oh yeah. Like the next day, like my dad pulled up in the truck, gave me all of my big furniture that I couldn't move. Mm-hmm. Um, handed me a folder with all of my like legal documents and stuff, my passport, my birth certificate, everything. He's like, here. And that's the last, last interaction I had with my dad. He just was like, here you go. Closed the bed of the truck, got the truck and drove off. That was the last thing I, you know, interaction I had with my father. Do you um, see, do you see that as a kind of, I mean, cause, cause in a kind of formal way in the church, if, if someone leaves, then they cut all ties and, and they're no longer a part of the family. Mm-hmm. But the fact that your dad turned up with all the stuff that you couldn't carry and all your documents, do you see that as a kind of supportive father, you know, act of a supportive father, or was it just sheer, like, we don't want your stuff in the house? Uh, no, not with my father. Uh, with, with, with him, it was more like, all right, well, that's fine here, because, like, I've being a, a troubled child, like I was a kid that was always causing issues. Um, so there was always that thought, I guess, in my parents' head that I wasn't going to be staying. So I don't think it was necessarily surprising for them that I was like, all right, bye. You weren't the first to leave. Uh, no, I wasn't the first to leave, but like, you know. Of his kids, you weren't the first no, to leave. I wasn't of that, though. Uh, what was I saying? No, for, for him, it was more like, okay, here, I'm done. Bye, have fun, live your life. Um, but the next day, like I was, uh, I had a lot of food that I left at my parents' house that I was the only one that ate because mm-hmm. I, I ate healthy compared to how the rest of my family ate. Um, 
so my mom was texted me and she was like hey like none of us are going to eat this food if you want to come pick it up on sunday uh while everyone else is out at the pickets then i'll be here and i'll help you load it up so i i get i go to my parents house uh obviously my dad's not there he took you know everyone else out to go to the sunday pickets before church mm -hmm. um, so it's just my mom was there and my two youngest siblings were there who i was very close with so that was kind of hard but um what was their reaction? What was that? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Then, what was your reaction of your siblings when you arrived? Uh, well, like they knew that I wasn't. I was like, that's hard. Oh, I'm, uh, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Uh, they was when you leave. Obviously, they tell everybody like, "Hey, they're gone. They're dead to us, basically." So, mm -hmm. I know that it was probably hard for them seeing me but like there's no emotion because they don't understand that emotion they don't understand exactly what's what's going on so for me it was emotional but for them it was probably like ooh, like we're not supposed to talk to danielle so like they were looking at me um and like just going about their business but like they weren't allowed to like talk to me they weren't allowed to like touch me nothing so it, it was weird it was weird it was mm -hmm. it was like like they didn't know who i was but but I did. Yeah. But so she had them help put all this food that none of them were going to eat just into a laundry basket. And then she helped me take it out to my car. Uh, so she puts it in my car. And this was the last interaction, like emotional interaction I had with my mother. Um, so she helps me get the food in the car. And then she asked me again if this decision is truly what I want to do. And I explained to her again, like, yeah, like, I don't want, no, I didn't tell her, like, I'm gay, mom, I'm leaving. It was just like, I, because I, it wasn't even like that. It was just, it was mm -hmm. honestly like, I don't feel like I'm supposed to be here. I don't want to use resources, your money. I don't want to rely on you anymore when you could be using those resources to better my siblings lives that was honestly how it was for me so I just explained that to her and she hugged me and she told me that if I ever wanted to come home that I could and I knew that I couldn't because I knew that I was gay so I was like there's no way like I'm just gonna go live my life and there's not gonna be there's this isn't gonna be a thing anymore so it was like that final moment of having my parents and then and then that was it she hugged me and that was it i, I can imagine how hard that is uh do you, do you need a break at all or are you no, okay i'm okay um so so yeah so what year was that then so you were you were just before, so you were 18 when you left. Are you 24 now then? I'm 25, I turned 26 in July. So uh, I was just about to turn 19. It was the summer of 2014 that I left. So what, is, is that before or after your grandfather passed away? Um, it was the year that my grandfather died. So yeah. Gramps died, I don't remember what month, but earlier, like the beginning of 2014, he died. What was the shift in the church? Oh, that was you know? a, yeah, that was an interesting time. Uh, so like we had known that he was sick and everything. Mm -hmm. He had dementia, but my family doesn't believe in mental issues. So well, they call like, it demons, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. They're like, oh no, he's just losing his mind. Like, no, he's sick. Like he's sick. He's a sick man. Mm -hmm. um, so they, what they had done was like, he was staying in the church because it used to be that the church, you know, was like separated in two halves, like the church side and the house side. And my, my grandparents still lived on the house side and he was cared for there. But once he started getting real sick towards the end, they moved him out and they had bought land. They bought one of the houses across the street from the church, um, across the street from where Cheryl lived, I should say. Hmm. Uh, and they just moved him into that house and kind of like turned that house into like a little uh like a containment center it was weird like 
Um, they put the bed in the front room of the house and then like had cameras all over the house. So it was like he was just being watched. Mm-hmm. And then they would just go and like make sure that he was fed and cleaned. And that was it. They wouldn't like actually interact with him. So I'm sure like those last moments for him were were scary because like he was alone. He was alone most of the time. Um, when he died, obviously the whole world finds out. And it was like, you know how a grenade explodes underwater. So everything like expands and then everything sucks back in. That's mm-hmm. what it was like. It's like the word of him dying got out to the world and then all of this, these media outlets and everybody was like sucking in and everyone was coming to the church and seeing. So the, the week or so after he died, it was crazy because we was like constant, we were constantly on watch around the block because people were coming and the block was constantly surrounded by people. Um, so we were like on guard the whole time, like hope, like trying to make sure that nobody was, you know, trying to trying to take advantage of the like the weak spot that we yeah. had hit in the church um so with that then like the patriarchy i guess of the church it, it turned it then we had like the elders of the church so it was just like my grandfather that was like the leader of the church and then they always had the elders but the elders didn't really make any of the big decisions ultimately it was up to gramps but after he died then, then it really was just the elders, so the married men of the family. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, yeah, it, it was it was weird. Like a lot of a lot of things that were kind of kept like secret in a way, kind of came out. So that's when a lot of people left. That's when you know, well, Megan had left before that, but mm-hmm. but still like it was around this time that a lot of people were leaving and like realizing like that's, this wasn't the place to be like, like, like basically a church was falling apart. Yeah. And that's when they kind of locked down harder with like their, their beliefs. And like, I don't know, I I wasn't a a member of the church. So a lot of it, I didn't even see, like I was, I went to the church, but I wasn't ever baptized. So I didn't get to get any of the insider information that like Grace and Megan have. Mm-hmm. They, you know they were actually in the middle of it but yeah. I had to watch from the outside and see, seeing everything not being allowed to come to the church meetings and stuff it was weird so this the shift from when Gramps died to all you know multiple men being in charge of what goes on at the church it was it was weird it was a weird power shift that I can't really explain well I, the kind of feeling that I got as an you know as a spectator of the the, the, the documentaries and stuff like that was that it almost the, the church I mean cor- correct me if I'm wrong almost talk uh, very much of patriarchal like really hit down on that that idea of, of the man ruling the house and, and yes. Yes. Is, is that true that it, it oh yeah it, yeah yeah it, it, it almost like harshened in a way because before it's like we always kind of had our mother there to kind of like take the edge off a little bit like she was very she was very warm loving woman um Mm. and then with this you know this patriarchal shift it was it was like all right no more like no more like mr nice guy kind of thing like 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 the father figures of all these households were like very i don't know it, it was like communication changed like the the it was it was almost like my childhood was over once my grandfather died um because like you weren't allowed to be a kid anymore. It doesn't matter how young you were, it's like you weren't allowed at all to have these emotions that a regular child would have. Like you you, you automatically have to look at the world like, you know, like they believe like the world's ending constantly, the world's ending, like grow up. Like it, it was weird. It was just weird. Like your childhood's over, so. I can imagine. Um, the, I mean, I'm not, obviously I'm, I know you, you were saying that you, you weren't, privy to the insider information and and they they do keep that very much under wraps but as someone who was close to the close to the blast is probably the best metaphor for it do you do you know if it's true that he was excommunicated from the the church he was Uh, yeah was Was that because of the the incident with the with the the lighthouse house yeah yeah um yeah like it was it was already kind of a discussion from what i was seeing um like 
because he was sick. Like he obviously started like talking different. He started, you know, viewing viewing situations differently. And um, as soon as he started talking like that, everyone was like, oh my God, like every the, the foundation of our church is falling apart essentially. And they're like, it doesn't matter if he if he started the church, like if, if he's the founder of this church, we still have to uphold the, the beliefs and the, you know, the foundation. So they're like, regardless of if this is our father, this is our, you know, our pastor, we need to kick him out. Like the, the, the where fell, wait, well, what, what am I trying to say? The, yeah, the where fell of our, uh, of our, of our family basically mm -hmm. was, was falling apart. So they're like, regardless, Gramps is out, like he's out. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was a weird moment. And that's when they moved him to the house. And that's when he got really sick. As so, so, so for reference, was he, was he, well, I mean, whilst obviously he, he had dementia, was he saying things that possibly could have got him excommunicated bef mm -hmm. before he went out into, into the, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure on if before he'd gone out and had that incident with the quality mm -hmm. house, what was being said or what was happening. Cause towards the end there, none of us were really allowed to see him. Like I said, it was, it was like only Cheryl our aunt Cheryl was like the only one that really, and then my, our aunt Liz, I feel like was the only other one that really interacted with him. Um, so none of us, at least from what I saw, because I wasn't technically a member, we, uh, I, I, I don't, I don't know of anything that he was saying beforehand, but mm -hmm. there were moments where somehow like he'd get out of the church. Like, like it was like, they were trying to keep him locked up in a way, locked up in the church. And then, uh, he would he would go on these walks around the block like he'd put his little his jacket on and his sunglasses and his hat and he'd, he'd start walking around the block and they would tell us they're like oh gramps is outside everyone closed the doors like it was weird it's like we were hiding from him like he was like he was trying to just walk around and like go see his family and they're like shut down the church basically yeah how was that as a grandchild it was weird it was it was like it was kind of scary to me, honestly, now that I'm thinking about it, like, I'm just remembering all this now, it's weird. But like, it was, it was, it was honestly kind of scary because I'm like, this is my grandfather. This is somebody that, you know, we we're always like open to seeing, open to talking with. And now all of a sudden he decides to go on a walk in on a nice day. And we're, we have to lock the doors, close the windows. Like we can't answer the door for our grandfather. This is weird. And then I think after those moments was when the incident happened where he walked out, you know, the front of the church and was talking to the, to people outside the quality house. And then that's where like, all right, yeah, this is it. Gramps is done. Mm -hmm. um, excommunicated him, moved him into the house, completely locked him down. He was locked inside that house. Like a prisoner. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was weird. And like, we didn't have, we couldn't say anything about it. We we're just like, all right, this is what we're doing now. Like, it's like, we just had to go with it. I think for, for context, it's worth mentioning that the the, uh, the Equality House was a, a house set up by a, an LGBTQ charity yeah. that was a rainbow house, and yeah. then there was a, a there was the one with the transgender flag uh, painted on it next door. And he said something like, "You are good people." Yeah, yeah. He said, "You guys are good people." Like I don't remember exactly the words that were said, but that yeah, like, we, he was just what was that? Oh no, sorry. That, did you see? it happened or was it just no. like talked about heavily in the church yeah it was it was just uh, so my sister my sister my older sister is a member of the church so you know she was experiencing all these things and um she's only a few years older than me so i can imagine it was scary for her too uh she uh she would like tell me that these things are going on and i'm like this is weird like this is scary and mm -hmm. she didn't didn't know how to feel about it but she was just you know obviously mirroring the re the reactions of like what our parents and our aunts and uncles were feeling like so she wasn't really allowed to feel her emotions um I don't know it was weird it was like she was a robot almost because like she was telling me that these things are happening I'm like Vicky like this is weird mm -hmm. um but she's like yeah but it is what it is like he's you know he's in the wrong here like he's a heretic now you know all this stuff and i'm like this is our grandfather like this is the man that you know that we based our beliefs on you know like from what he's taught us like this is what 
it's weird. This is weird. Like this, I can't be the only one seeing this. Well, it, it's it's a weird one as well because as much as many people disagreed with with uh, your Gramps's uh, you know views on the world and that kind of stuff. I mean, I I myself have a grandparent with with dementia, and I've seen how it, it change fundamentally changes the kind of person that they are. So to hear that he was excommunicated and treated so horribly and, and locked away is yeah. is awful. But do you feel that he generally had a, a change of heart when he spoke to those people, or that was deep inside him, or do you think that he that it was just the the illness talking? It's, that's hard for me, because I I, I I don't know truly what was in his heart, what was in his mind, um, and him being sick. Like it could have just been a moment of. Um, Clarity, yeah. It could have just been a moment of clarity for him where he was just like trying to reach out to somebody, but he had no access to anybody except for the people that he saw across the street from the church every day. So that was probably him trying to reach out and be like, hey, like, I'm sorry. I don't know. I can't, I can't say for sure. But knowing how he was, like, as my grandfather, not as the pastor, as my grandfather, he was a very sweet man. Um, so I, I wouldn't put it past him to have been trying to reach out in that way, but I honestly could not say for sure. I think it's because, ironic how, oh, sorry. No, what, I didn't because, in those last, because in those last moments, I, we didn't get to interact with him. So I yeah, of course. I, I think it's ironic how in those, in his, you know, last few months or, or, or whatever, uh, with, with his illness, the, the people who were essentially there for him. That, that mm-hmm. gave him the most attention were the people who directly opposed everything that he st- stood for. Yeah. Before that, it, it's quite a strange one. Uh, but I'll, I'll move on. I'll move on from your your grandfather. So you, after you've left, uh, and you were talking about adjusting to life, how long was it before you decided that you wanted to go to join the military? Which obviously, you know, the the church fundamentally disagrees with again. And um. Let me think. So I left in July of 2014, and by February of 2016, I went to boot camp. Mm-hmm. So those few years there, it was kind of rough because I was in college, and I had to drop out of college because I was so depressed, anxious. You know, my PTSD from my childhood was really bad. Um, I jumped around a lot from house to house. I was homeless for a bit, uh, living out of my car. It, it was hard. Um, and then I was working at a gym and I made a lot of friends, you know, working at the gym, people that were in the military. Um, I don't know. And they, I guess they really liked me and they would talk about me with their friends and stuff. And then it just so happened that, um, one of the guys that uh, really liked me had, a his recruiter, he talked, talked to his recruiter about me a lot. And she actually drove from Kansas city down to Topeka like, and found me working in the gym and was like, hey, I've heard all of this stuff about you. Um, and I think that you'd, you'd make a great Marine. And I was like, I'd never thought of joining any branch of the military. Like, I'd obviously, like, I'd known about the military because of my family, but like, I didn't, I had literally had never given it a thought of joining because I was like, oh no, like, I'm not, I'm not, Cause like in my head, I had this stigma that like, if you join the military it's cause like you have nothing else to do with your life. Like, like you're stupid or something. And I was like, that's not the case. Like, that's not it. Like, and, and then I also kind of felt, I was like, I've done all this, all of these things to hurt people. I've hurt people, not willingly, just because of how I grew up. Like I've hurt, I've hurt members of society. I've hurt people in the military. I've, just by things that I've, I've held, not even necessarily said, because I, I, I never speak, I didn't have a voice there. Um, but I was like, this could be kind of a way to, I guess, make up for all the hurt that I've caused. Um, so I was like, you know what? Yeah, like, if you think that I'll make a good Marine, then yes, I'll do it. I was like, all right, we'll do this. Um, and I had to go through a lot of background checks because mm-hmm. of coming from my family. There was, there was fear from the government that I could be like a terrorist of some sorts. It was weird. Really? There, 
Yeah, they're like, I had, I had like five or six background checks and they were like, they swore that I was like trying to like infiltrate the military. Yeah, it was, it was kind of funny, honestly, but I was like, no, I'm, I promise you, I have nothing to do with this anymore. So like, that's, that's basically what the background checks were doing. It was like, they're trying to confirm that I wasn't, um, cat, I wasn't, (laughs) affiliated with my family anymore um and they had to they had to lift the ban from you know how my family's banned from multiple countries to mm-hmm. fly to and stuff so they had to lift those bans for me and stuff um but eventually they're like yep you're good you can join um so i went to boot camp they did the thing there and then uh i was a marine and uh it was it was hard um and some people knowing who our family is would see my name and you know somehow correlate the two and then i'll be like yep that's my family and then i'd, I'd either get bad reactions or like oh like what are you doing like what are you what are you trying to do here you know and i'm just like no like i honestly i'm just trying to serve my country like that's it that's all i'm just trying to do something to make up for all the hurt and pain that i've caused like that's it not trying to not not trying to play any games here. Before joining the military, did you ever had any ambitions or aspirations to go into a certain field? Or, uh, um, I was going to school for exercise physiology, mm-hmm. so I was trying to be a you know physiologist. Uh, anything like physical, like I've always been very, a very physical person, like um, always exercising. Uh, so I wanted to do something that had you know, physical aspects to it. So military did kind of fit into that, that, um, that box. Um, but again, military didn't, didn't occur to me until it was, until I was approached with it. And I was like, I need to get paid to work out essentially. Of course I'll do it. You know? <laughs> That's what it was like. Um, did you travel anywhere with the military then? Did you go? I did. Yes. Uh, you stationed? Um, I was stationed. So I went to boot camp on the east coast and my schoolhouse on the east coast and then I was stationed the all my active duty years were um in California so I was at Camp Pendleton in uh Oceanside California Uh, yeah um um spent you know all four years there really besides basic training um and then i got the opportunity to deploy. So back in 2019, I went on a deployment. I went on a Mew mm-hmm. and I was, I applied to be on the female engagement team, which is, you know, female Marines and they are trained uh, tactic, tactically wise. What else? Um, basically just women that can fight. And we went and trained different um, branches or uh, females in other countries' military. So the main main country that I spent time in was Jordan. So mm-hmm. I got to go to Jordan and train the uh, Jordanian Armed Forces, the female engagement team there. Oh, wow. It, yeah, it was, it was really cool. It was a great experience. Um, so I taught them how to fight, taught them how to shoot, uh, taught them just military tactics that Americans use. Um, yeah, that was probably the coolest thing I think I've ever done. Oh, I can imagine. Was it as, as, a, as a someone who grew up in a family that was blacklisted from all flying and, and very much in their own bubble? How much was it? How much of a culture shock? Cult, yeah, culture shock was it to be in the Middle East? It was. It was interesting to see it because, like, my family had always talked about it. Like, there was a time when I was in middle school that they're like, "We're going to move to Israel," and I was like, "We're moving to Israel?" Like what this is weird we didn't end up doing it obviously but in like they were like trying to get us ready to like live in the middle east and i was like we aren't even allowed to fly to the middle east like how are you expecting us to get there this is weird so as an adult being there and like in the military being there um it it was like i don't i don't know yeah it was iconic yeah i it was almost um I couldn't believe I was there almost like I was like this is where my family's been talking like my family's been talking about this place forever and like never got here but like here I am and I'm over here you know 
working for a country that they they hate mm -hmm. <laughs> and i'm teaching you know all these 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 cool things that like my family probably couldn't even comprehend to learn but i know these things and i'm teaching jordanians this thing these things like an american teaching a jordanian soldier how to fight like i was no. like they could never like they they have no idea <laughs> so well, it must cool. be very fulfilling as well in terms of the, you, yeah you, you're now passing on skills to someone whereas originally yeah like like you said before you, it, it's kind of repaying or repenting for the, for yeah. the stuff that you uh you know didn't were reluctant to do in the past how long did you spend before you came back then uh we left in april of 2019 we came back just before thanksgiving of 2019 mm -hmm. so we're out uh I went to a bunch of different countries, but I, the, the main operations that I worked on were in Jordan mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah. Huh? Yeah. Eight months. Was that eight months? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Time flew, time flew for me. So. And so you came, so did you come back to Kansas in 2019 then? No, uh, came back home from deployment. So I was back in California then, mm -hmm. um, and then I was still, I still had to finish out my contract. Um, so I was, I was Marine, I was in the Marine Corps for four years and two months active duty. The two months were because it was so close to the end of my contract, they had to extend my um, enlistment. Mm -hmm. So I was supposed to get out the January of 2020, but I ended up getting out March of 2020. Ah, the okay. end of March. Yeah. I lived in California a little bit longer. And then I came back home to Topeka in August of 2020. So I've been home since 2020 of August. So August. you live in Topeka now. How far do you live from where you grow where you grew up then? Yeah, probably a five minute drive. Well, because I mean, obviously the the way I found you was through Autumn's TikTok with the fact that you know yeah. you, you, you drive there often. Um, yeah. But there was, there was one TikTok that stuck out to me, which was when you drove past a picket. Yeah. And if you're okay talking about this, you drove oh, past yeah. a picket that had your dad and your brother in. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. I think firstly, I want, want to ask is how weird was it being on the other side of the picket line? Uh, that was like kind of an unexpected moment too. Like we were, we were like going, yeah, we we're probably going to get food or something. And it was a Sunday, I believe. Yeah, it was. So that's why, like, I had completely lost track of the days. And obviously, Sundays, they're always out there. They're out there for at least three pickets on a Sunday. Three pickets back to back. Um, never got, like, never saw them. Yeah, I hadn't seen them, like, but from what I'd heard around town, they hadn't really been out that, that much. Um, so I wasn't expecting to see them. And then we're just driving down Gage, which is, you know, the main street that they like to pick it on. And I was and I was like, oh, shit, like, Autumn, look, it's my family. And she's like, what? No, no way. You're like, nah. -uh. I was like, yeah, look. And, and then like, should we do a U-turn? Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, so we turned around and they're like, drove by and she was filming. And I was just like, yeah, that's this person. Like, they had their masks on and their coats. So it was kind of hard to see who was who. And, like, they'd grown up so much, too. So I was like, I'm not exactly sure if I'm going to know. But I can kind of assume just how, like, who they're, like, by who they're standing next to, how they're standing, like, because you know, you grow up with these people, like you're so close with them. You see them every single day and just their demeanor and you like learn who's who mm -hmm. just from a distance. So I'm like, it's been how many years since I've seen my family? And I'm like, there's my dad. My dad's wearing the same coat he's had for years. So that's always so easy to see him. It's like my dad. And I don't know, I think I saw my sister. And then I was like, Amos. And Amos is my, my youngest brother. And I was very, very close with him. I basically was like raising that child before I left. So that was probably what, uh, that was, a, yeah, that, that, that part messed me up a lot, I think. Cause um, talk about him a lot, so. I, I guess I talk about Amos a lot. I don't know, um, <laughs> but he, he, I don't know. It's just like my mini me. So seeing him, yeah, it was it was interesting because I'm like, I had always, obviously been the one standing there, but now driving past it <laughs> with my girlfriend, it was you know, yeah, it was it was it was like a whole new world basically. It's like I was like I was looking at my old life, and I'm just like happily driving by with my new life, and I was like, 
<laughs> weird. It was like two different memes. I can imagine. Was yeah. there ever was there ever any kind of uh, uh, desire or or initial reaction to maybe make yourself known that you were driving past, or was that not an option? Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I I could like you know make a big big deal about hey guys I'm back but uh they would they probably wouldn't pay it any mind so I wouldn't want to waste the energy um mm -hmm. and I do have trauma from my childhood so I don't like to like put myself out there like my friends and like my family that I have still will joke about it because like there's like stickers like parents of a United States Marine like stuff like that like oh we should take this and go put it on our parents front door and knock and like run away or something I'm like no 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 like I get it you guys that would be really funny but like for my own <laughs> for my own uh mental stability I don't want to like I don't know agitate them yeah like, well, no they're not still... gonna do anything but like I don't know like it's this is my life now and like not I don't necessarily want them to be a part of that like do, like do... yeah are they aware that you are in both a Marine and openly gay? <laughs> um, yeah, apparently. So my little brother actually left a few years ago. One of he, my younger brothers. Not, not Amos, sorry. No, not Amos. He's still, he's still young. But yeah. my, my second youngest brother, mm. Caleb, he left um, a few years ago, like three years ago, maybe. Um, and so apparently after I left, like I did a lot of like different activities with the Equality House. Like I went to a bunch of different fundraisers and stuff like that. I was kind of like a hot topic then with the Equality House. Um, and so like there was this group picture that we took in front of the church for an event at the Equality House. And it was like a group kissing picture. And I was single then, like super single. Um, but one of the people, one of the guys that worked there, I think his name was Patrick. He worked at the Equality House long hair long hair on a guy which obviously is not what my family does men cut their hair um so i ended up just kissing the guy that worked there like just like a, you know a, a friendly kiss on the lips you know yeah and i'm in the middle of this picture that made it into the newspaper or something and i'm kissing this guy with long hair but i guess to my family they were like oh that's a woman just because he has long hair so i guess that makes him a woman but I think that was the initial, like, thought. Like when they saw that picture, they're like, "Yes, we knew it. Danielle's gay." Like, I wasn't even, I wasn't even kissing a woman, but yeah. like, that's whatever. I, that's ironic. The the way they found out you were gay was by you doing the most straight thing you possibly could have done. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, my bro but my brother told me about that. He's like, "Yeah, it was weird." I was like. He was like, he was telling me, he's like, if you look at the picture, you can tell it's a guy, but they automatically see you kissing someone with long hair and they're like, she's gay. I'm like, I mean, they're not wrong, but like, wrong that's it. Yeah, right answer, wrong work. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that, that's, that's brilliant. Do you, um, so, so I, I mean, I'll, I'll try and wrap it up soon because I know I've kept you for, like, it's flown by to be fair. I've, <laughs> Like for, for reference, like I always have notes for like every interview I do. I've not uh -huh. looked down at them once because <laughs> I've been <laughs> enthralled with what you're saying. But so so in terms of the church now, I mean, you were saying that the church was dwindling after your, your granddad died. Yeah. And you've got people, the elders, you know, like like Scott, the the former documentarian who's obviously oh, Steve? Steve. Steve. Sorry, not yeah, Scott. Yeah, yeah. No, Steve. Yeah, Yes, yeah, Steve, Steve at the head, which apparently, I mean, isn't what you, you don't like him very much. <laughs> uh, no, and apparently, um, we actually just got this somehow. His whole family just got kicked out. Apparently, him, his wife, his kids. Yeah, I don't know what happened, but apparently, his whole family just got kicked out. Really? Do you know why? Yeah. Well, I, I don't know why. Um, when did you find that out? Um, one of Cheryl's sons, Noah, he just left. And he was yes, I, I, I saw that as well, actually, because now is almost one of the most recognizable ones because he's the... Yeah, because of the documentaries, yes. Yeah. And Louis oh. had a kind of a funny relationship. Yeah, well, that's... So, so I mean, because Steve was almost one of the most ardent ones and was unusual in the fact that he wasn't born into it, but he was... Mm -hmm. I mean, he was the one doing the sermons. He was almost like substitute 
yeah. Gramps after you know after uh, yeah. your, you know after your grandfather passed away. Yeah, no, that's who. So is that reported then, or is that just like? Um, I'm not sure if it's reported anywhere officially, but I mean, Autumn's checking. She's a she's a little Google monster. <laughs> I have to tell him what? how you went to boot camp and you called your household as your phone call. <laughs> that's iconic. So <People>, <laughs> oh, I don't know why you want to bring that up. Anyway, I think she, I guess she thinks it's funny. So in the Marine Corps, obviously, I don't know if you know that much about United States Marines, but we're like you know. Only from films, but. <laughs> but yeah, we're supposed to be like, you know, the best of the best Marines, you know. Um, but the first thing you do when you get to boot camp there is like, obviously, the drill instructors are yelling at you constantly. They bring you all into this really small room and they push you up into a phone, like a phone booth. And they they tell you to call a number and you have to scream at the top of your lungs a script into the phone. Doesn't matter who, like, you have to call somebody. Yeah. If they don't answer, then they make you keep calling. So... I got there and, and I had numbers memorized to like call like my brother or somebody, but I get there and I completely blank on all the numbers that I had memorized. So I was like, what number do I call? So I com I called my parents' house number because it's the only number I could remember. So yeah. I haven't talked to my parents in a few years, but I was like, you know what? Called, called my house number that I knew from my childhood and it went to voicemail. <laughs> so I'm screaming the script from them like the marine corps has written for me into the phone so what does it say is it like an aggressive i can't remember thing? what the script was but basically it was like me screaming about how i'm at i'm at marine corps boot camp and like you know i'm gonna I'm be trained by the best of the best and i'm just like screaming this so they probably have a voicemail of me from boot camp screaming into their phone and they have no idea, no context whatsoever, just me screaming into a phone. Would, would that have been the when they found out you had joined the Marines then? I'm not sure. I'm not sure uh, if or when they found that out. I mean, it's on my Facebook, and I know that they like to get on Facebook and like search our names. So if they look, look for my name, it says that I was in the Marine Corps. So I'm sure they figured it out. But yeah, I'm, I don't care. <laughs> Well, I, I, honestly, I want to thank you so much for, for taking the time to speak to me. Because uh, I appreciate as well that there's a lot of the sensitive topics that yeah. we've touched on and stuff like that. And I, I do really appreciate you opening up. What I do want to end on, though, because obviously we've touched on some heavy stuff. Yeah. But you seem very happy now. Oh, I'm very happy. I, I was about to ask, are you happy? <laughs> the world, like, I cannot compare, cannot compare how, how much happier I am now than when I was there. But yeah, I'm in a little bit of pain from surgery, but I'm so happy. I'm so happy. That's absolutely fantastic. Well, th honestly, thank you so much for, for speaking to me. No, thank you. Thank